0: Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Brett Martin, president and co-founder of Kumo Space, a virtual office platform that's raised $25 million in funding. Brett, thanks for chatting with me today.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me. Pleasure
0: to be here. No problem at all. So to kick things off, can we just start with a quick summary of who you are and a bit more about your
1: background? Yeah. So I'm Brett Martin. I'm president of Kumo Space. It's a virtual offices for remote distributed teams where your team shows up to work every day. I also am the GP and co-founder of Charge Ventures. It's a New York-based pre-seed Seed stage Venture Capital Fund. We've got on our third fund, 70 portfolio companies. And uh, if you've got a great new idea, just getting started, we'd love to hear from you. And then finally, I'm also an adjunct professor at Columbia Business School. I teach uh, data analytics and machine learning. So
0: you sound busy. What's a typical week look like for you? How do you distribute your time across those three
1: different positions? <laughs> a typical week? There is no such thing. And you can't divide time, but Every day, I'm in the Google Space uh, virtual office, but then you know, constantly meeting with uh, new founders, building their companies in there. And then, I mercifully, only teach one class a week, so I will spend uh, about half a day up at uh, Columbia uh, with, with the students. And have you done any deals that our audience may have heard of so far for Charge Ventures? I mean, depends what category you're in. You know, if you're in the, uh, we do a lot of creator economies, so we've invested in Grin, which is a you know billion dollar tool crm for uh, influencer marketing we invested in norby which is a uh, kind of a hub spot for uh influencers um invested in a company called electric ai we do a lot of data science uh, machine learning investments so electric ai is uh basically it for smbs and if you're in crypto we invested in uh, bison trails which uh Sold to Coinbase for over a billion dollars, and Livepeer, which is basically a distributed network for processing live video. So, just some of the you know larger names in our portfolio, but a bunch of other great ones in there as well. And how big are the funds? You said you're in the third fund so far. What's the total rate? Oh, so we do pre-seed. So you know we we'll write anywhere from like 250 to 750k checks in the companies. You know, just getting off the ground. So that's our sweet spot. We like to invest in kind of sub you know, ideally sub million, million and a half dollar uh, rounds, but we'll, you know, we'll flex up into large seed rounds at times. What's the fund size? Sorry. Oh, our third fund is uh, $30 million. Okay. Got it. Very cool. Now a few other questions
0: we like to ask. And the goal here is really just to better understand what makes you tick. First one, what founder do you admire
1: the most and what do you admire about them? Well, I was thinking about this question in advance and I think I'll just pick one of my founders actually. So I've got a a young guy, his name's Lewis Black, and he runs a company called Just Play. And it's a basically marketplace for local pickup sports. So you want to play a basketball game or a pickleball game or a volleyball game, you can just open up Just Play in your neighborhood, whether you're in New York City or you're a small town in the Midwest, you can uh, find a game and, and, you know, pay $10 and be part of an organized game. And um, I really think, you know, he's got sports games going on all over America, all over the world, all sorts of different countries. And, you know, He has that crazy gleam in his eye of like truly wanting to build, you know, a billion dollar company. And, you know, it's cliche, he's become cliche to say, oh, this is going to be a billion dollar company, this will be a billion dollar company. And what I'll say is that a lot of people say that, but very few people truly believe in their heart of hearts that they actually are going to build a billion dollar company or even want to. And uh, when you find someone that, you know, really has the craziness to believe Uh, You know, there's something to that, and and and, you know, it's very attractive as an investor's perspective. So, you know, I like being around young first-time entrepreneurs that have a little bit of that crazy. And so, you know, unlike a lot of other funds, they're only going to invest in you know a gray beard or someone that's throwing their third company. You know, we really specialize in investing in first-time founders, and uh, you know, I think that's how you get outsized outcomes. With a name like Lewis Black, I feel like he's destined for greatness as well. It
0: just sounds like a famous name. (laughs)
1: I think he is. Now, do you think
0: that founders ever build unicorn companies on accident? We do a lot of interviews with unicorn founders. We've interviewed about 45 of them now. And I always like to ask them that, you know, like, was this intentional from day one? Did you set out to build a billion dollar company or did you just kind of stumble your way into it? And I'd say it's like 50-50 split, but sometimes I wonder if they're being completely truthful or if they're just being humble. So what do you think? Do you think that when you build a billion-dollar company, is that like the intention and the goal from day one, or can you just stumble into it?
1: Well, I don't think it happens by accident. I don't think it happens by accident. I don't think that anyone who everyone who builds a billion-dollar company, their intention was to build a billion-dollar company. Now, that doesn't mean their intention wasn't to build an amazing company or important company, right? But maybe their just focus wasn't on the market cap, right? Their focus was building the best possible consumer products, right? Like, I don't know if even Steve Jobs was being motivated by, you know, having a a billion in his market cap, I think he was motivated by building, you know, amazing, you know, world-changing products and putting them in people's hands. So it's the maniacal drive on something that I think is most important. Makes a lot of sense. Now, what
0: about books? And we like to take this from Ryan Holiday, but he calls them quick books. So I think he defined a quick book as a book that like rocks you to your core. Really influences how you
1: think about the world and just how you approach life. Do any Quake books come to mind for you? Okay, so I've got two here. Now, truthfully, I mostly read fiction, which not everyone, you know, in the business world loves, but I'll give non nonfiction and a fiction book. So my nonfiction book is Endurance, which is the story of uh Shackleton and his failed expedition across the uh Antarctic. And that book is my, you know, in case of emergency break glass and read book, book. You know, I think it is truly, if you are really in the toughest of times and it's been a tough year and actually it's going to be another tough year for entrepreneurs, you know, we're going to raise funding in this market for another year. You know, when you are really at your low, I think that endurance will tell you it could be worse and you you should keep going because, you know, Henry Shackleton never took no for an answer. And uh, I don't want to spoil the book, but let's just say he got all of his men home. So that would be one and and then you know my second book would be The Razor's Edge by W Somerset Maugham and I think that is one of my favorite kind of transition phase in your life books you know it's a it's a coming of age story but it's also like you know if you're let's say and I would recommend that to founders who are maybe will walk in the woods they're in the middle of a pivot or even if they've actually just you know failed startup and, you know, unwound it and they're, you know, in between looking for their next thing, I think this is a really great book to really put in perspective what's important in life and help you uh, clean things out to move forward.
0: Not only do we share a name, we also share favorite books. So Endurance is one of my all-time favorite books. And I actually read that. And then the next week they discovered the ship and I was so stoked and so excited about it and pretty surprised they were able to recover that. Pretty insane.
1: Awesome. It's the best. If you like that book, have you read out uh, River of Doubt*? I have not. I have not. I have had it recommended to me, but I haven't gotten to it. Sh- should I bump it up the list?
0: Yeah, bump it up the list. I was talking with the guests, and I told them I loved endurance, and they said the same thing. Like, all right, if you love endurance, move *River of Doubt* onto your list, and, and you're going to love it. But yeah, I read that a few months ago, and I'm obsessed with it. Like, I may go back and read it again. It's it's that good. So, highly recommend it if you're into those types of books.
1: I mean, I'm a crazy uh, TR fan, so uh, very into it. Nice. You'll love this one. Let's switch
0: gears now and let's dive deeper into the company. So I'd introduce it as a virtual office platform. So I think listeners can kind of understand what that means, but do you want to maybe expand on that and just give us the the high level overview?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, really we're productivity software, video chat, regular chat for distributed teams, which at this point, you know, it's basically every team, right? Because whether you're a small company and you're working remotely, or you're a gigantic uh, multinational with headquarters all over the world, your team is in multiple offices or on multiple floors at the same time. And so, we're trying to build a you know better place for that to happen. And so, you know, Kumo Space is a piece of software that you know, much like Slack, you will turn on at the beginning of your day. You'll and you know, you see your whole team trickle into your virtual office around 9, 10 a.m., in our case, sometimes 10 and 11, because we're a bunch of engineers and designers that don't wake up and stay out late. And, you know, everybody's working there. They're there. You can see your whole team all day. You can tap people on the shoulder, get an instant answer to their question. You can you know who's available and who's not. And it just makes collaboration and building our really uh, high-performance culture, even when not sitting next to each other in the real world, it makes that possible. So in reality, you know, it's just a piece of software that you know, a physical office is a bundle of things. It's a place to do work. It's a place to meet colleagues. It's a place to throw events. It's a place to store corporate assets. A virtual office it does all the same, but without a physical footprint.
0: And then how does that fit into the tech stack? Does that replace tools like Slack and Zoom, or is it an addition to them? What does that look like?
1: So, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of companies do actually use uh, Kumo Space as a replacement for Zoom and Slack. Some companies uh, use us alongside one or the other. I personally think that, you know, we're really focused on internal communication. So, you know, most uh, some companies will use Kumo Space for all their internal video because you're already there. You're already on video and you just tap people on the shoulder. You don't need to schedule a Zoom meeting. You don't need to chat back and forth, send links. You know show up and then spend a whole twenty five minutes talking when you could have spent you know literally you know two minutes getting the answer to your question and gotten back to work right so people tend to do it for internal uh, video meetings I would say it's a case
0: and do you deal with fatigue at all from people being on video that entire time so do I have that right they log in and they're on video all day
1: yeah well, so people are logged in all day you don't have to be on video I would say half of our customers are not on video at any given time and You know, I personally think uh, running a fully distributed company that when you don't need to be on video, you probably shouldn't. And we're, you know, we're having a phone call right now. It's great. Get to rest the eyes for a few minutes. But video is there and it's available and it's one click away. So I think that people have Zoom fatigue because they're in meetings for too long, right? There are too many meetings. The meetings are too long and they're often inefficient. And so by actually using Space, you're not in meetings for as long so people are in kuma space for six and a half seven hours a day but they really only have you know anywhere between an hour and two meetings a day whereas you know i've seen these schedules that look like legos you know you got zooms for eight hours a day and so actually letting go of scheduling all these meetings gives people more time to do work and reduces the fatigue of being on video
0: Let's talk a little bit about timing. So I see you launched in May 2020. Uh, the world was obviously in a very, uh, <laughs> very crazy place at that time with, you know, COVID or, or deep in deep in COVID at that stage. Did you just see that this was going to be a big problem and decided to pounce on it then? Or what was that early observation you made to jump into this?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I think like all entrepreneurs, you know, I'm uh, opportunistic, but, you know, really what happened was, you know, I was happily just investing for charge. And, you know, we used to run a monthly, basically a networking event, a cocktail hour for a bunch of angel investors and Pandemic. Hit and all those folks said, Hey, why don't you bring this online? And, you know, I said, I don't really want to do a Zoom presentation for 50 of my friends every month. That's not the point. The point is to create an environment where people can network with each other and kind of seamlessly move from conversation to conversation and everyone can, you know, Pick which conversation they want to be in at any given time. I basically pinged, you know, my old friend and co-founder and Kumo Space's CEO uh, Yang Mao, and uh, you know, we built three companies together. I told him about the idea. I knew he was a big video gamer, so he instantly got it. And you know, two weeks later, he came back with a working prototype. And even from that first very rough prototype, we could see that there was something about being able to see everyone at the same time but then having different audio channels and being able to move from conversation to conversation. And yeah, that's how I began. you know been off to the races ever since. And looking through the
0: website, I see some very impressive logos there. Um, just to read off a few, Harvard, Nike, Deloitte, Capital One, LinkedIn. I think I even saw NASA there, which is awesome. How do you land logos like that as a startup? Yeah, you know, obviously all founders struggle with this in the early days of how do you get enterprise customers to, to really just give you a shot? How'd you pull it off, do you think?
1: I will say, you know, NASA is definitely one of my, one well, our proudest as an entrepreneur and a, and a nerd, you know, having NASA as a customer, actually one of our oldest customers, is something that, uh, you know, <laughs> I tell my mom about for sure. And, um, you know, one of the things that got me off, I was happily investing, right? And I had done, you know, my last startup 10 years ago. And the thing about Kumo Space is, you know, you see a lot of good businesses, you see a lot of businesses with, High revenue and high margins and moats and growth. And, you know, I usually would just give them my money. That's a much easier way to make money, right? That building. But, but Kuma Space, it spoke to me personally. It was like this mission of just like making all this time they were spending on the computer a little more human, a little more connected, right? A little less commoditized like Zoom. It really, it really spoke to me. And, you know, in terms of getting those enterprise customers, right? It's two things. One is, obviously it's PLG bottoms up product where, you know, it's inherently viral. It's we're turning video into content that people are sharing and people see to you know, see someone else's co They're like, wow, that's amazing. That's cool. You have a fully customized office that reflects your personality. I want that. Right. And so, you know, we just start bubbling up in these organizations and folks were looking, you know, people don't love zoom, right? Zoom, it gets a job done. Like it truly was innovative and it, sort of just worked when no one else did, but no one loves it. And so there's this opportunity to get in there and provide something different that people want to talk about that makes them excited. And so I think, you know, taking personal excitement, your mission and channeling that into a product, that's another thing I see a lot of great entrepreneurs doing that I try to emulate. It's just like, you know, you start to look like your dog or look like your partner. Well, I think like sometimes, you know, your business definitely starts to look like you. And so if you're really excited about your product and you can just, you know, everyone else around you feels that. And so that I think is how you get those early customers. It's just like being so excited about what you're selling that they feel like, okay, this is something I gotta be a part of.
0: Yeah, enthusiasm is contagious. So that makes a lot of sense. noise. Obviously, there's been a lot of money that's gone into virtual office platforms, virtual work platforms. What are you doing to really rise above all of that noise? And, and how have you, you know, gained the traction that you've gained with your thing?
1: Yeah, look, it's a competitive space. I mean, I think there's probably 40, 50 companies have launched our space and more that I don't even know about. And a number of you know already gone under, right? It's such you're competing with Zoom, you're competing with Slack, you're competing with Microsoft Teams. I mean, these aren't exactly old, Creaky incumbents, you know these are folks at the top of their game. But I learned from my first company, you know, I say like the only way a competitor will kill you is by leading you off a cliff. And I think you just need to block and tackle, get one customer in the door, make them happy, you know, get another one in, and kind of not get over your skis. You know, we had the fortune of being able to raise, you know, a really nice couple rounds from some, you know, all-star venture capitalists at Bold Start and Lightspeed but we didn't get over our skis and, you know, hire a trillion people and, and light a bunch of money on fire, you know, we've been deliberate about the, you know, team and, you know, it's tough like everyone else, you know, we've got a, it's a tough market out there, but, you know, take your time and and grow, grow in your shoes. And, you know, that we're, we're trying to live by that. We're not perfect, but we're, we're trying to, you know, just slowly build a solid profitable business. When it comes to your market category, how do you
0: think about the market category is this a category creation play or is it you know consolidating some of those existing categories and just redefining them
1: I think there's a degree of category creation going on here right I think you know a virtual office I mean historically a virtual office was a uh, you know a place where you could mail send mail to and they would scan it for you not a piece of software that your team essentially lived in all, you know all day every day while working from home or from distributor or hybrid situation. So there has been a degree, fair degree of education. And that's why, you know, turning the product into content and having it distribute itself incredibly important. That said, at the end of the day, I think that the category is evolving. A lot of people are dealing with, you know, return to the office. I think the probably dominant sort of design of, you know, uh, white collar, you know, office work is actually going to be a hybrid situation. And so how do you make a virtual office, you know? just as useful for hybrid teams as it is for fully distributed ones. And I think for us, that's, okay, what are the core value propositions that we serve, right? Which is you know, essentially visibility and presence, speedy communication and collaboration, and then ultimately the culture and the strengthening of personal bonds that results from that. How do you take those three benefits and then continue to evolve the software to serve them regardless of you know where people are working from so I think it's building a category but always staying rooted in fundamental you know benefits to the customer
0: obviously in the media right now there's a lot of debating of you know is remote work dead are all these big companies going to drag their workers back into the office what are your thoughts on that conversation I know your thoughts on that conversation but How engaged and active are you in, you know, kind of telling that other side of the story and and advocating for
1: this idea that remote work and and virtual work is here to stay? I think that, you know, first off, I want to be clear, I see value in being in person, right? I'm not, I think one of the problems with the remote work community is that sometimes it's delusional about, you know, oh, anything can be done remote, everything should be done remote, and there's no benefit to being in person. And I, you know, I'm not going to be the person to say that, right? Like, I just think that the model is flipped. It's kind of like the upside down classroom, right? We used to say, okay, we're going to lecture you all day and you're going to go home and do your homework. And now we're said, okay, you know what? Actually, you're going to watch a video. You're going to watch a video at home and learn. And then you're going to do your work in the classroom so you can get real, you know, real feedback. And I think the office model of the future is hey, we're going to do work at home where we don't have distractions, where we're very comfortable. We got to set up where it's lower cost. And then we're going to, meet in person when we need to, to build relationships and do really in-depth, very, you know, loose, open-ended brainstorming and communication, right? That's what in-person is for, but we don't need to do that all day, every day. And so I think that's why we have hybrid situations, you know, with varying degrees. And so I think that people who are saying, oh, you know, all, it's all about remote work or it's all about return to the office are actually missing the point. The point is, is that we actually have to match the tools for the job that needs to be done. And, you know, no one sort of monolithic solution is actually the best solution. I watched the talk you gave at Web Summit and it was, will physical real estate even matter in the future?
0: I'll link to that in the show notes, but can you answer the question? Will it matter?
1: I think that physical real estate will, will of course, matter. I just think that it's going to drastically change from how we're using it pre-pandemic, and we're in the middle of that, right? We have got a massive commercial in the U.S. a massive, you know, commercial real estate crisis that's happening right now, as you know, the standard office footprint is being transformed needs to be basically transformed into modern, more modern use cases, right? More. You know, common space, more meeting rooms, you know, more hot desks. And so, yeah, we're just, it's going to take a long time for um, the housing. It doesn't change at the speed of software. That's that's the benefit of a virtual office that you could scale it up. You could double the size of your team tomorrow in Kumo space. Good luck trying to do that in Midtown. As I mentioned there in the intro as well, you've raised 25 million so far. What have you learned about fundraising? It's not over till it's signed. I think that. There's a lot, goes into fundraising and ultimately it's like, do you have, have you built a good business? You know, do you have something with a large TAM, high, you know, with making money, has good margins, has a leadership team that has deep insider domain experience? Are you building moats, you know, over time? And, you know, if you're not those things, then have you identified why you're not those things and then what are you doing to become those things, right? Like, that's the core of of fundraising. And then there is this dark art song and dance of, you know, what I call FOMO fundraising, which is essentially, you know, meet people, tell them who you are, what you're going to do, meet with them again, show them that you'd been doing what you said you were going to do. And then finally, you know, create some sort of uh, reason, either through back channeling or PR or, uh, you know, a fun announcement or news that gets people to see what you're doing and then come to you so you can negotiate with them on your own terms. That's, you know, I think my model for fundraising. And so I don't spend a lot of time talking to people unless I'm either building that relationship, starting a relationship or actually asking for money. Can you talk to us a bit
0: about the PR strategy? So I was looking through the website and I saw you have some incredible coverage that so you've been featured in the New York Times. MIT Tech Review, CNN, all the big outlets that every founder would dream of being. And How'd you pull that off? And, and what does that media strategy look like?
1: How, you know, have something worth talking about and figuring out how to relate what you're talking about to what people care about. I even feel bad talking about this because I don't feel like I'm the best that, you know, we're working the media. You know, I, I know there's so many people that are better than me. I'm, I'm just fortunate to have been surrounded by, you know, talented people building amazing Products and software, and you know, I just get to be the face of it. I mean, I I, honestly, there's no no media master mastery over here, just a really good team.
0: What do you think your superpower is? I'm sure there has to be a, a skill that you just are really good at, and you think you know could be the best in the world at. Like, what would that skill be?
1: I would say that my ability to identify undiscovered talent is probably my greatest strength, and believing in people before sometimes they even believe in themselves. Is something that I've done a number of times. And I'm just very proud of the alumni of folks that I've gotten the, the opportunity to work with. And, you know, I see all my former colleagues, you know, as starting their own venture capital funds, partners at big funds, you know, PMs of big, you know, billion-dollar businesses inside of big tech. And uh I think that, you know, nothing makes me happier than you know seeing the people I love succeed. And you know, something about that, just people keep giving me the opportunities to work with them. And so whatever that is, that, that's what I'm most grateful for and hopefully what I'm not so bad at.
0: <laughs> Final question for you here. Let's zoom out three to five years into the future. What's that big picture vision that you're building?
1: Well, look, I'll tell you this. If the future of work and, you know, is sitting on Zoom and Slack all day and becoming increasingly commoditized as humans and becoming a little... You know API endpoints for work, whether I'm distributed in office or working from home. That's a pretty sad state of the world, and so we are fighting against that entropy at Kumo Space. We are, you know, trying to create a more human world where uh, you continue to be a you know a person, you know, in the metaverse and distinct, and you know, have your humanity and leverage the benefits of humanity. You know, connecting, uh, have spontaneity. And true human connections that uh, create something greater than the sum of the parts, and uh, creating a, a technology and software and tools to facilitate those connections and the emergent greatness that comes out of them. That's the core of the mission of Kumo Space. And you look at it, existing tools like you know Zoom, and you know they're not even networked. You, you know you don't even have any intelligence. Uh, you have an organization with ten thousand people, and they're all in video chat and video calls all day, and. Yet there's no you, you feel when you're you sitting at home you feel like you're literally working in a box in a little silo and I think there's just such an opportunity to create a network there uh, and really connect people you know, across all these calls and harvest that intelligence and share it intelligently across the organization and you can imagine how AI is gonna play into this I think it's just a you know a massive opportunity for information orchestration in the future. And uh, I hope Kumo Space uh, gets to play a leading role in that.
0: Amazing. I love the vision. I love what you're building. I, I love the problem that you're solving and the approach you're taking to solve it. Brett, we are up on time. So we're going to have to wrap here. Before we do, if any founders listening in want to follow along with your journey, where should they go?
1: Yeah, well, connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, follow me on Twitter. It's Brett1211. And uh, just if you start a company and you, you want to talk about it uh, you know just hit me up on email brett b-r-e-t-t at charge.bc and just reference this podcast so I know where you're coming from and uh, you instantly had that credibility
0: (laughs) amazing brett thanks so much for taking the time to chat I've had a really fun conversation with you here and I know our audience is going to really love it as well so really appreciate you taking the time
1: hey brett thank you and uh, hope to come back someday have a great rest of your day and best of luck to everyone out there uh, getting started thanks a lot brett